0: From Relay FM, this is Upgrade, episode 161. Today's show is brought to you by Squarespace, Away, and Timing. My name is Mike Hurley. I am joined by the wonderful Mr. Jason Snell. Ciao, Jason Snell.
1: Hello, wonderful Mike Hurley. How are you? I'm very well. How are you? Pretty good. Pretty good, you know. It's uh it's getting toward fall and that brings mm-hmm. my my thoughts to things like uh Thanksgiving and turkeys and dinners and other things that'll have to be made. Mm-hmm. Well, this is there. good,
0: because yeah. whilst nobody cares about that, well, maybe some people do, but that's, so I don't want to cast aspersions upon people's feelings <laughs> of Thanksgiving, so you really set me up for it. usually you tee me up for a really good one, but today I couldn't be so excited because I didn't want to say that nobody cared about a big American holiday, but we have hashtag Snell Talk, and today's <laughs> Snell Talk <laughs> question comes from Gary, and Gary's question is kind of related. Gary wants to know, what is the best gravy flavour, Jason?
1: Why did you pick this question, Mike? <laughs> I just I I wondered what the best gravy flavor would be. You know, gravy flavor, gravy, gravy flavor, gravy flavor. It's fun to say. Uh-huh, the exactly. answer. You want to know my answer? Mm-hmm. Like my legitimate answer? When I saw this, mm-hmm. I I squinted at the screen and I went, gravy, perfect.
0: Well, I mean, gravy there's onion is the gravy, best gravy flavor. There's sausage there? gravy, you now know. I what?
1: suppose. So what do you? What is know. gravy to you? What's gravy to you, Jason? I don't want to turn this into robot or not. Now, <laughs> um, I don't know. Gravy is is kind of a thick uh, brown kind of liquid that is put on mashed potatoes or biscuits or um, other things. It's hearty well, and sure, it's made from what flour from? and maybe some sort of uh, meat juices of some mm, kind, okay. but not necessarily. But I don't know. I mean, my yeah, my mom used to make a ham gravy. That was sort of sweeter. There were turkey gravies and all of that. Um, I don't know. I I don't. I think, Gary, the answer is that I, I, I don't have an opinion about gravy flavor, gravy flavor, gravy flavor. It's just gravy. I like sausage gravy and onion gravy. They're my favorite gravies. Uh, I don't know if I've had onion
0: gravy. Isn't that just gravy with onions in? <laughs> well, it's a gravy that you make using on... It, this is, you know... We're not a cooking show, uh, but there's, okay. there's many flavors. Thank goodness for that. There's many right. gravy flavors. Uh, sorry, gravy Gary, flavors. for the... Uh, sorry, Gary, gravy flavor. Uh, if you want to <laughs> send in a hashtag <laughs> Snell Talk question and maybe get a better answer uh, than what poor Gary did, just send Almost us a tweet certainly. with the hashtag Snell Talk and it will go into a big list that I can pick from. Sometimes I pick questions that Jason doesn't want to answer sorry Gary uh, today's follow-up <laughs> section begins with uh, just a note about a, dis- a a watch app Shazam you're familiar with Shazam this is the application yeah uh, I'm pretty sure everybody knows by now it identifies music you you can uh, have your phone or your dev- or whatever device you have Shazam on listen and it will listen to the song and identify the song for you, right? It's really cool. Siri can do this too, but um, Shazam, I have found in my tests to be better at picking this stuff out. Uh, they have redesigned their Apple Watch app, so now it no longer needs the phone. What it would do before would, would be like trigger a background process on the phone, uh, which would help identify the song. doesn't need that anymore because the Shazam app is fully uh, independent. So now you can open the Watch app, you ask it to listen, you can even put your arm down and it will give you a haptic when the song has been identified. Because previously as well, like with a lot of Watch apps, for it to be running, you had to have the screen on, but now you don't necessarily need to do that and the Shazam app Hmm. has done this. The reason I bring in all this up is because the Shazam app, now that it's fully independent, works over LTE. So we were talking about this last week, about applications that can be updated, what can they do? Well, Shazam has done that. So now... You can use the Shazam app whether you have a connection or not. And this is just an example, I guess, of a big application moving to support all of the stuff that has been available in watchOS for a while, but nobody's really taken advantage of because there wasn't much of a reason to. But now the LTE watch is here and it doesn't need to be attached to the phone. You can get these benefits. So I thought that was really cool. This is an example of a good watch app supporting the LTE stuff.
1: Yeah, it's important. We had a couple people write in about... um... About how the, the, their concern is like they rely on a feature that is basically like a synced notification, uh, you know, a linked notification from the from the phone. Yeah, and and this is definitely one of these areas where the Apple Watch is needing to evolve because what you need with a cellular Apple Watch is independence. You need the apps on it to um, to work independently. Although I did have a thought, which is. Apple could use iCloud to distribute notifications across all devices, in fact, because you do get your notifications on other devices. So some of your notifications from your iPhone could also go to your Apple Watch, even when they're not together, because that is the case when your phone and your iPad are not together. They can get the same notifications. Yeah.
0: I feel like I'd be in a weird middle state with that, though. Like I would maybe want to do something and can't, you know, et cetera, et cetera.
1: Yeah, exactly right. But it's just it shows you the adolescence of this. It goes back to what we said last week, which is Apple Watch hardware has outpaced the software. And now the software has to catch up. And that's not just the the third party apps. Because as we know from hearing from some app developers and listening to Marco Arment talk about his issues with Overcast, that there are places where watch OS just doesn't really provide a lot of power that they're accustomed to from iPhone development. And so this is a case where Apple's hardware people have really pushed the hardware with the Apple Watch, which is great, but the software is now needing to catch up. And you know, hopefully, I think we'll see more apps take advantage of this as much as they possibly can this year. But it also sounds like that there's going to need to be some advancements in watchOS to really enable the app developers to take it even further. And that, unfortunately, will probably be next year.
0: Yeah, um I was uh I was I went swimming a couple of days ago and you know it was nice I have my, my watch on to track my swimming. I love that. One of my favorite features that came with the previous watch uh, that it can do swimming tracking. Uh but it was nice because I was in the pool and my phone was locked away and I was still getting like iMessage stuff and you know, if I take a break from swimming for a few minutes I could respond to some messages by speaking into my watch. It was pretty good. Like I liked it a lot and I hope that more and more and more stuff happens uh with this. So um, I'm seeing in the chat room people saying that the Siri integration, you know, when you say, hey, Siri, what is this? They're apparently using Shazam servers. That's great. Uh, but, yes. But, you know, the, the, I i don't know if the watch can do it. I don't know how well the watch does it and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I, but I've
1: never thing, yeah. gotten that feature to work reliably. There you go. So what are you going to do? So through through right. Siri. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: I've heard this as well. I mean, I don't try a a bunch myself, but I've heard people say that the the Siri integration isn't as good. Even though it's using Shazam's information somewhere,
1: it maybe isn't as optimized. Um, We have a really quick bit of follow-up. We were talking about uh, cases and uh, Qi charging, and there was, I think, an Ask upgrade about uh, old cases and charging and things like that. And we heard from a few people. It sounds like we heard from a few people who actually work in Apple stores who said, as far as they know, the the old cases work just fine. We had somebody who has an old case and put it on their iPhone 8 and it, w- it w- was able to charge just fine through the case. So I think, you know, we don't want to say it absolutely will in all circumstances that all of your iPhone 7 or 6 cases will work uh, to to, uh, if you lay it on a Qi charger but um, we, I, I think it was worth mentioning because we had somebody who said that it, who reported that they were told that they wouldn't work and that seems to not necessarily be true
0: uh, last week I mentioned during the Mike at the Movies segment that there was some standalone Mike at the Movies planned for the rest of this year and yesterday we released one of those uh, me and John Siracusa watched both Kill Bill Volume 1 and Volume 2 and discussed those um, so you can find that at com slash Mike, but of course there'll be a link in the show notes. As we said, there are some standalone mic at the movies, uh, and this is one of them, so you can go and take a listen to that if you want. Uh, I, no spoilers for how I felt about the movies or why they were picked, uh, but I think it's worth listening to just to hear the rules that I had uh from Zhang, <laughs> which were fantastic actually really great like he gave me some guidelines about how i should watch and when and why etc cetera, etc cetera. um and i actually really really enjoyed our discussion about these movies uh we had a i think it, it came out really well so you can go check that out and uh in case you're wondering no it's not longer than the two movies combined it's like an hour long so we didn't we didn't hit the john syracuse trait
1: of longer than the movie uh because i wasn't going to allow that to happen because we were not going to talk for six hours being instructed on how to consume particular kind of media welcome to my by John Syracusa oh welcome really does he do this for you too oh whenever we do I didn't whenever know that. we do um like anime or or professor Miyazaki Siracusa. or like mm-hmm. things where where, where professor Syracusa is assigning us the work he will instruct us on what we uh how we need to watch those things, or at least give a strong opinion. So, mm. no, I followed yep. the
0: rules. I followed the circuit rules, and and I think that they enhance the experience. Yes, so. Yeah, I, I I recommend going to listen to this. It was a, it was a great discussion, um, and so yeah, go check it out. I'll put a link in the show notes.
1: Yeah, that's great, and that feed is fun for if you don't regularly listen or or you don't always have time for the 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 segments that we do here and that you do with Casey on Analog. That's a fun feed too because just collects them all. So when you're in the mood to listen to Mike talking about movies and TV shows and things, it's all in one place. That was that's why it exists. So Jason, can you tell me some defining features of Twitter? <laughs> Well, let's see. So you have uh, each each post is 140 characters. Uh, Wrong. (laughs) As of a few days ago, um, Twitter doubled the
0: character limit for tweets to 280 characters in a bunch of regions, Uh, depending on the language. um, One of these languages that they have adapted this for is English. So if you're in the United States or the United Kingdom or any other English speaking country and you have your language set to English on Twitter, you may be part of a potential test slash rollout slash I think it's actually happening, but they're calling it a test for some reason and be enabled for 280 characters available to tweet. Now, I still have 140 characters, which is weird because I don't want 280 characters, but I also don't want to be the guy who doesn't have it. Right? I'm in this kind of weird sense right now yep. where like I don't uh-huh. necessarily wanna have two hundred and eighty characters at my disposal, but I don't have it, and I'm like, Well, why don't I have it? I feel like I should have it. Everybody else is getting it. But that's kind of where I'm. Yeah, I it's am. it's
1: that moment where you see a long tweet and you're like, What, that jerk has 280 characters? And <laughs> what i don't. About me. <laughs> I assume why you
0: only have one hundred and forty characters. Why I have one hundred,
1: two hundred eighty characters? characters? <laughs> What's wrong with me? Why didn't they want me? So, are you still mm. in the one hundred and forty club? Oh yeah, this is weird. Hashtag one hundred and forty club. Hashtag one
0: hundred and forty club. One hundred and forty <laughs> forever, baby. <laughs> I'm seeing these tweets in my timeline. I use I used tweetbot. I assume you're They're seeing so them long. the same. Yeah, but just something looks weird, right? Like it looks really peculiar to see these tweets
1: yeah they're they're very long they're so long it seems wrong
0: i know what twitter is saying like i've read their blog posts you can go and read the blog post and you know it's the idea of like people want to be able to express themselves and i'm sure they're trying to you know curb some of the tweet storming type stuff and or the screenshotting right people posting screenshots like i think Twitter want that to be text. They want it to be there. So, right, they, you know, right.
1: They, those, those 30 tweet-long threads will now be 15 mm-hmm. tweets long instead, I guess?
0: Yeah, I would assume, though, that they,
1: they've <laughs> I would assume that they've done some some data analysis and have
0: worked out that by increasing it to 280, there will curb a lot of what's required. You know, people, instead of posting three tweets, might post one now because they can get it all in if they just squeeze it into what would be 280 characters, yep. you know, like, you know, you catch one, you catch two, and maybe three, you know, and, and maybe it starts people from doing that and or you know stops people from having to post these screenshots of the notes yeah, I think, app
1: you know i think that's a good one i mean the argument and I, gruber made it again this week and we've had this discussion before about that twitter could just create a text attachment type right where you can just like your tweet your 140 character tweet introduces it and then you have a text attachment that's readable and it's accessible in a way that a screenshot isn't because but they chose not to do that. But we we see this. I actually wrote a piece about it, like how everybody takes a screenshot yep. of the Notes app with text in it and posts that to Twitter or Instagram or Facebook because they don't have enough text in in Twitter in order to get it out there. So uh, this is better. But I, I and maybe it will cut down on using no, the Notes app. But it's still it's still in this interim place where it's not like unlimited, nor is it. Super limited it's just a little bit less limited, which is kind of kind of strange I, I mean I think it's okay. Um, I think I, a, a lot of the criticism I've seen has been more meta Twitter criticism which is Twitter has lots of problems with harassment on their platform and with awful people and also bots that are trying to manipulate mm-hmm. public opinion on their platform and so when when they announce this, um, everybody says, why are you rolling out a new feature that is not?" addressing the problems on your platform and their answer is well we're also addressing those and people don't believe them and they get angry and i think maybe rightfully so but if they are doing stuff
0: for that they definitely don't make as big a song or dance about it as they did this right like if they're doing things they don't talk about them
1: that's because this is easy. Right? I mean this is this is something that Twitter just needs to want to change. Um, the other stuff is hard. Uh, so they of course, they make a, a, a press release about this and a blog post and all of that. Um, but it, it, yeah, it has the potential to change the platform and, and not necessarily for the better, not necessarily for the worse, but I, it. I do yeah. think that some level of outrage about this was inevitable because it's change and that's just people are going to be outraged about it. In the end, I, I would wager that most tweets are not going to break the 140 barrier Mm -hmm. because most of them probably don't get close now, but that it will cut down on threads, which I think are annoying. Now we could, we could argue again, that Twitter could do a better job with addressing the need that people have by making these giant Twitter threads that they could do Mm -hmm. something else because a, a, again, a 10 tweet thread does not get solved by going to 280 characters. It doesn't. It makes it a five tweet thread. Mm Maybe. Maybe. But that's it. So I would say I'm I'm definitely
0: in the camp of I don't want text attachments to tweets. Like I don't want it because then it becomes like an it's a RSS blogging platform reader. at that point. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Because the thing is, with threading and with threads, which I also do find frustrating sometimes, it's because of the way Twitter works. It's like I'm reading this conversation. It's like it's upside down like
1: i yeah I, I, no i'd ra- I'd rather have a, a a feature that addresses threads right that yeah. lets somebody make 20 twitter posts that are all interlinked and that are collapsed by default to a single yep. one and that when and and then the api and the web interface and all that lets you open it up and see all of those and some twi- threads in some clients in some instances, on some platforms, you can do that now. The problem is that if you're following somebody who's doing a tweet thread, you don't see tweet one and mm-hmm. a click to see the whole thread. You see all the tweets, and it fills your timeline. Like even with doing that, you're still
0: going to get you're still going to be back into square one of making it a blogging platform, right? Like as soon as you take sure. away the thing from someone of like maybe I shouldn't spam a timeline, right? Then then people try and cut it down. I think.
1: So, Maybe so. I mean, I think the challenge, though, is what do the users want? Obviously, the users want to post this stuff, and they're going to find a way to do it. And if you're the platform owner, you don't want to distort what your platform is, but at the same time, you don't want to... You Ideally, you want to address, like, the motivation behind why users have behaved this way. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, the thread thing is still out there because I don't think 280 makes much of a difference for it.
0: No. I mean, I will say for my own personal usage... 280 will be beneficial for some things that I do. I find that very frequently I'm either perfectly fine or I need two tweets, right? Like, for whatever Um, it is I need, it's either one or two. That's all I ever need. Uh, But this happens to me a lot. Like, if I'm announcing a new thing or, like, we've got a big episode or something I want to promote... It's always like 150 is the exact minimum that I can post. And it's always so frustrating. So being able to go to 280 will help me a lot in that. But I don't want to become more verbose. And I don't necessarily feel that everybody else needs to because I'm being, you know, I'll be frank. Most of the tweets that I've seen that are 280 characters don't need to be. But like people now have the space to do it. Like part of the reason that has made this platform great is that it's short and it's quippy. You know, And of course, yes, it's getting broken by the fact that people are posting just like 60 tweets in a row to talk about a thing uh, where basically that content just shouldn't be there, but it's what people want to do. right? Like that content should exist in the place that content should exist, which is on a blog. Like that's where that should be. But people don't want to do that. And if people don't want to do that, you can't stop them. But I don't, I don't, I mean, I can see the situation that Twitter are in is like, how do you fix this? For some reason they've done this. I don't know if they needed to do that. I don't know if this is going to help them, as you said, because all it does is just half it, but like it still is going to occupy the exact same amount of space on a screen. But this is the, the, the route that they've chosen to go down. And it just looks weird. It just looks weird. And I don't know if this is going to help the platform in any meaningful way. Right. I can't imagine that people are going to be like, well, now I'll sign up. Like, you know, it's 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 a strange, <laughs> right. it's a strange thing.
1: Yeah. it 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 is weird yeah i i uh have the same thing as you which is i have accounts like i find this more relevant for something like my uh for the incomparable twitter account where i like to list i like to mention everybody who's in an episode and i have panels of many people and once you do that you've run out of space to describe what the episode's about yep (laughs) it's like new with these people link and then you're done and that I'll have a little more time to like uh, a little more space to explain that a little bit further that'll be fine when that happens when i get 280 on on that account but you know i don't know it's it's it does seem weird like it, i i don't think it's fundamentally good or bad it, And I think that it could just be fine. The problem that I have with it is very much the problem. It's some of the stuff you've mentioned and that that I mentioned earlier, which is it has a little bit of a rearranging deck chairs feel about it. Like of all the things happening on the platform of Twitter, this is what you choose to do. And I know maybe that you choose to do it because it's easy, but this seems like not where your focus should be when you've got challenges of reaching new audiences and challenges of harassment yep. and and potentially like counter you know a- anti cultural attacks by bots run by um, other by, by you know governments trying to stir up uh, unrest in other countries like there are lots of things going on that are not uh, the length of a tweet but you know, so that's my issue with it is I think fundamentally it's not necessarily a bad move. It's just like seems like a a beside the point move.
0: Yeah, it's like Twitter. If you want to implement a feature that people might like, edits. This is you know whether you want that or not. I think there is a more of a user desire for tweet editing than double the length tweets. Sure, you can work. I'm sure that's a very difficult thing to try and work out. But yeah. That would maybe be met with a little bit more praise from your users. Yeah, than I mean,
1: there are issues with edits, so like, like you'd need to show course, the edit trail yeah. and you'd need to limit a, when the edits happen. And yeah,
0: but that would you know work that out, do a basic version of that, you know, whatever it would be. That's gonna be met with, with if you want good PR for this stuff on a wider scale, that's gonna be met with more hurrahs. I mean, yes, of course. Find a way to make the incredibly difficult problem of the harassment stuff better, right? Like I don't know, I don't know how you do that, right? Like I have no answers for you. There are lots of people that have lots of great ideas. Um, listen to those people, right? There, there are things you can do. But you know, I'm sure the reason that a lot of that stuff doesn't get done is because there are accounts that are active. But this is a whole big issue for another time, maybe. They yeah. want to get rid of those monthly active users, Jason.
1: No, no. Don't want you do to do that. No, why would you want to do that? Exactly. Today's show is brought to you by our friends at Away.
0: Away are a team of really bright folk. They are thinkers, they are seekers, they are designers. And that's why they've been able to make smart premium suitcases for under $300. So your luggage doesn't have to cost more than your plane ticket. That's what Away are all about. And they give you really smart features like a battery. I know that's something that I need when I travel. I always need more battery power, and that's why both of Away's carry-ons feature a battery inside. They feature USB ports you can just plug, your devices straight in. You can charge your phone up to five times from a single charge of the battery inside the Away carry-on case. Go to awaytravel.com slash upgrade podcast, and you will be able to browse their suitcases. They're all made of premium German polycarbonate, which is unrivaled in strength and impact resistance whilst remaining lightweight. They have the carry the bigger carry on the medium and the large size with nine great colors for you to choose from at their great prices all other ways suitcases feature four 360 degree spinner wheels which i find great when moving through an airport i love to be able to push rather than pull i love the flexibility that the four wheels gives me because i can choose to maneuver my case in whatever way i want depending on how heavy it is they also have a patent pending compression system inside which is great if you're an overpacker and a removable washable (laughs) laundry bag so you can separate your clean clothes from your worn ones, which is genius. I absolutely love this feature as well. Mm -hmm. Just so when you get to a hotel, you just take out the little bag. That's where all the dirty clothes go, and then you just put it in the suitcase, all zipped up when you're done, take it home, empty it into the washing basket. Job done, love it. Mm-hmm. they all of their carry-ons are compliant with major U.S. airline sizes, and they have TSA combination locks built right in. Travel smarter with the suitcase that charges your phone. To find out more about Away, go to awaytravel.com/slash/upgradepodcast and use the code UpgradePodcast or one word at checkout, and you'll get twenty dollars off there. Suitcases, any of them, in fact. Go to awaytravel slash upgrade podcast. Code upgrade podcast for twenty dollars off. Thank you so much to Away for their support of this show and Relay FM. Ooh, I'll be packing my Away suitcase later today. Apple have published a white paper for Face ID. I think this is something that they promised to do on stage, I believe, or at least during the introduction stuff. They said that they would have a security white paper out, which is out. And it also came alongside a revamped privacy page that Apple put together, apple.com slash privacy, which talks about the way that Apple feel um, about privacy. I want to talk about some tidbits, some little pieces of information about Face ID that could be pulled out of this white paper. Um, One of them, this is something that we'd heard about, but like just an implicit confirmation from Apple that developers don't have to make any changes to their apps to use Face ID where Touch ID was used. If you use Touch ID, then it was fine, right? But then if you, now you can open an application and instead of a Touch ID thing, you're showing a
1: Face ID thing. Uh, So you show your face. It's a standard uh, security. It's nice because this is the idea of planning ahead and saying, look, we're gonna have a biometric authentication system. And you hook into it this way. And then you as an app walk away and let the system verify and then it'll come back and say, Yep, that is that person. And so if you're one password, you know, and you're you're unlocking your vault with a thumbprint, now guess what? It'll unlock with a face ID and it's all the same to you because it's just biometric validation. That's very cool. So it's it's a great thing for developers
0: that they don't have to do anything. Right? Like you already did the hard work.
1: Isn't that the best? Because yeah. that, that suggests that everything that's underlying, when, when, when something is really built with a good foundation, um, th- Apple can change parts of the underlying system and apps just work right with the new whatever it is that's changed, new hardware of some sort new uh, approach to software like that's a that's always the best right if if the developers don't have to do anything and it just works uh, that doesn't always happen but this is an instance where apple should be able to literally just swap in face id for touch id and nobody should be the wiser in terms of software development every time you unlock an iphone 10 face id takes
0: uh data of the face in front of it Now, this is either a Face ID scan, so it's accurately identified you via Face ID scan, or if you try and scan and it doesn't work, or if you unlock and then you unlock your phone with a pin, it will take that information because it it will believe at that point that if you have unlocked it and it looks at your face and has a particular rate that it believes it might not be you, but it isn't like enough for them to unlock it right like it's hitting within some certain parameters it will take that data and update the profile it has of you and it does that right. every time the phone is unlocked and this is how apple builds the way that your face changes over time
1: right it's clever too because they're they're doing it within a range where like if i have so um so my wife and i have our own like passwords for each other's phones and stuff right mm-hmm. and cuz occasionally you need to unlock the other person's phone and do something they're busy or whatever um, and so what you don't want to have happen is Lauren unlocks my phone with a with a password and it scans her face and goes oh um, that's who Jason is now Jason had an operation today and now this is what he looks like he looks very very different and uh and then I come back to my phone and they're like nope I don't know who you are, um, because that lady unlocked your phone, and so you, that that's who I belong to now, right? <laughs> like, it's, it's, uh, I don't even remember who you are. I'm with the new person now. Mm-hmm. Goodbye. Or your face has belonged to us. It doesn't do that. Ideally, what you've got is, it, it, it looks, and it, uh... It's looking for a high enough percentage that it thinks, yeah, that probably was you, but not. I wasn't sure enough to auto unlock, and then it uses that as as a hint. It learns from that, and it kind of like puts that into its uh, the context that it uses. And they describe this as being the method by which they can track like differences in facial hair and makeup. Uh, for for dramatic, I think they said differences in facial hair and makeup, and still know it's the same person. Is mm-hmm. so if you are you change your look but are still obviously you and you unlock your phone because it doesn't recognize you with your changed look. It actually uses that as a cue to update its training because it knows you look different now and that the next time it should actually recognize you, which is, uh, yeah, this is a, a nice feature and it shows you the level of steps and the complexity here that Apple is going through in terms of trying to get a user experience that works, but also have a secure, Uh, system because the way that this the way that the data is collected is secure the you didn't mention the um like the the infrared dot mapping thing like the dot pattern is different based on the hardware like every phone's dot pattern is different so you can't like Take a dot a dot pattern like take an infrared camera and measure a dot pattern on somebody's face from one iPhone and then use that to spoof another iPhone because the patterns won't match, which is really interesting. And then like the the encryption, how they take the data and it's like uh, you know it's it's signed and 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 encrypted and then it is thrown away in certain circumstances after time or on a restart and then you have to re-enable it. Like there's a lot going on here in terms of the details of how they're securing this data. Um, and of course, the basic min- misconception that a bunch of h- people had when this was announced, which is, you know, it doesn't leave the phone. And in fact, it's reduced to a mathematical equation it's not even the dots anymore it's it's just a mathematical equation uh that is i i think it's very much like cryptography it it is representing what the measurement was so that if you take a new measurement you can say that it matches but it's not the same as having the original measurement still around there's a lot going on here
0: so like there's even um an an enhancement to ar kit which includes facial recognition and mapping onto a face. You know, like, they, they demoed the Snapchat stuff and how Animoji does it as well. But third-party uh, applications that use this part of ARKit, they don't actually get the face data. Like, they don't get it. So it, it's yeah. all, you know, so even then... Just, right, right. So it's not just yeah. it's not just not Apple, nobody. Nobody gets that information, which is again very cool, very clever. Um right. a big question that a lot of people ask is like how will payment authorization work? Like, do I just look at my phone and the money leaves? Well, to authorize payments via Apple Pay, you double click the side button first, then look at the phone. So it's it's a slight change. Like even if you hold it to a reader, you still have to do the double click thing. So there is a slight change here. Um I will say that personally I never, with Apple Pay, hold the device, then authorize. I always pre-authorize. Like, I double-click the home button, hold my Touch ID, and then it's ready. So I'm like, doing it in the line, and then I just hold the device, right? Like, I never do the waiting thing, because I find that takes too long for me. It's frustrating. Plus, I know I'm going to do the Apple Pay thing, so I do that. Um, It also seems like, no, they talk about making payments in apps, Now, I'm assuming my my read on this is this applies to both Apple Pay inside of apps and in-app purchases. This is how I read this, that to make payments in applications, you confirm intent by also doing the double click of the side button and then the face scan. So all payments are done with a double click and a face scan. That's how it works. This is probably why the side button is so large on the new device. It's to make it easier for you to get to because you're going to be clicking it more, right? Like,
1: yeah. And anybody who's used an Apple Watch already knows that this is a gesture that Apple has been using for Apple Pay because that's yeah. how the Apple Watch payment flow goes, is you double tap on the side button and then scan, you know, mm-hmm. and then you know, tap your So Apple it's watch.
0: actually gonna feel really natural for me because I would say ninety, ninety five percent of the times that I use Apple Pay, I use my watch.
1: I don't use my phone. Yeah. Yeah, well, so, I mean, and what I was going to say is, to be honest, I, 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 this is really interesting, but I'm not sure how much more I'm going to really use Apple Pay on the device. Most no. of the time, I'm using Apple Pay on my watch. But exactly. for people who don't have an Apple Watch, this is the way that you'll pay.
0: I care more personally about like, how do I authorize an App Store purchase. Right. Like how does that work? And it seems like it's this same thing. It does the face ID scanning instead of the touch ID for like the confirmation. But to confirm the intent, you do the double click, which makes sense. I mean, there is there are facial gestures they could do. But I don't want to do any of those. You know, like I, I want to do the double clicking. You know, I've heard people say like, well, if you winked at the phone, I don't want to do that. I don't want to wink at my iPhone. That's not a yep. thing that I want to do uh, to confirm a payment to be made or right. or it to be unlocked. So, like, I have no desire to do that
1: kind of stuff. What if you get something in your eye and you accidentally, yeah, it's, then it's a Seinfeld episode,
0: right? Yeah. Like, I'm just, yeah, I'm not I'm not willing to do that. The double click is like a, it is a thing. It makes sense to me. Um, it is a second level. It's like a two factor, right? Like, it's my face and my thumb doing the job and they do it together.
1: Isn't that a Seinfeld episode where George gets something in his eye and he everybody thinks he's winking? Yep. Yep, but I can't remember the payoff, but yeah. Horrible, horrible misconceptions happen because of that. Yeah. So you know what you would, last thing you would want to do is to do that.
0: If you're under the age of 13,
1: your facial features may not be distinct enough for Face ID to work. Isn't that interesting? You're just a, <laughs> if you're not a teenager, the iPhone just thinks you're an undifferentiated blob. You're just a blob, <laughs> just a human blob. Whatever. I human. Mean, <sighs> maybe human
0: maybe even not i don't want to speak to to the way that people live their lives but i don't think at this point a 13 year old should have one of these phones like i just i mean i'm sure there are going to be many right like many many 13 year olds in the world that will have an iphone 10 and in two or three years even more of them will have them when they're handed down (laughs) so my hope would be honestly that like Apple can make it better I mean I don't know if it's like just a limitation of the technology or they just haven't gotten good enough yet or if it's purely a 13 year old or a 12 year old or an 11 year old their face can never be detected Um, but we'll see about that my hope would be that they would make it better if they want to roll it out because it's not like you know a 9 year old oh your fingerprint isn't (laughs) like it's not distinct enough yet like that's not how this works Um, so I would hope that that's something they can make better but yeah I'm sure that there are going to be many 13 year olds many 12 year olds in the world that are going to be upset when the face ID doesn't work for them, right? Like, I'm sure that there are many people, but, like, there shouldn't be that many that it's going to be, like, I don't know, 13 gate or something, but hey. Uh, The one thing that I am frustrated about is one face per device. And you mentioned this, like, you and Lauren share passwords. Me and Adina, uh, we have our thumbs registered on each other's phones, Your mileage may vary with this, right? Like personally, but that works for me and her. Like this is just a thing; we're totally cool with that. Um, I don't have my phone locked because I don't want her to see it. I have my phone locked in case I drop it on the bus. Um, And again, like people's privacy. Like I'm not saying you're doing something wrong because that's not how it is. People are private about their stuff in their own way. You know, no judgment, right? This is a judgment-free zone. Um, but I am frustrated about that, like that she's going to need to put the pin in or whatever. So I'm going to have to tell her my pin. And she's got to remember the pin. And it's like, argh. it was way easier when we could just touch ID on the devices.
1: I've got to think that at some point this will change. But I wonder if this is a hardware limitation, like not the camera, but like th- what all they're storing if it's just too complex yeah. for for more faces to be stored or whether it's something that they could update with software down the road. Because, yeah, it would be nice it might be if like a, there were a couple a chip, of distinct faces. Right? Like
0: that chip can only take one and then maybe it needs like two chips to add more. So they may never do it, right? Like it may always be now like it's one face per device. It may be the way it is, but I would hope that they're able to to change that over time. I guess unless you're a twin then you could have multiple faces per device, I guess. Is <laughs> that how that works? That's the only way you get more than one face per device, I guess, is have somebody who has the exact same face as you, I guess. Maybe, I don't know. But there you go. That's the Face ID white paper. Um, again, this is still on the long road ahead that we have for this. We're a month away, month and a bit away, month and change from the phones being in people's hands, possibly if you can get one. Um, so, yeah, we're on the long road to the iPhone 10. I'm excited for it. Like, I cannot wait to get one of these things. Um, I'm pumped. I'm very excited. Very excited. Talking
1: about new hardware,
0: Apple TV 4K.
1: We didn't get to it over the last week or two. It's true. There's so many things to talk about and write about, and you can't get to it all.
0: And unfortunately, the 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 poor poor baby of the Apple TV 4K fell at the bottom of the list uh, of of the things that were deemed the most important. But um, I wanted to just talk about a couple of things about my setup and my my experience. You have one too, right? So I guess we can. We can go. We can chip in together on this. You yeah, do have one, absolutely.
1: Right. I, 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 know. In fact, let me tell you my story because it's really funny. I pre-ordered um, the neck the day after the orders went up. I was like, uh-huh. I don't, I don't know if I'm going to get up at midnight, and then I was like, yeah, well, I'll get a 4K Apple TV, and I'm probably not going to get a review unit to test anyway, so I, I'll get one. So I placed an order, and they said, well, you'll get that probably about October eighth. It's like, all right, well, that's dumb, but okay. And then I thought, a few days later, I had this thought, which was. I wonder if they're in stock at my local Apple store. Yeah, they, they, they were in stock there. And, and which made me think to myself, why? I think Apple needs a better system, right? I think Apple needs a system where they can say, hey, I know you are waiting two weeks to get an Apple TV, but if you like, we could shift this to be a pickup order at your local Apple store i think they don't do that because what they want is they want to allow people who don't think about buying online to wander in to drift into an apple store and get one like they don't want they the to cross the streams have store there stock. they
0: have to have it you know they, right you can't ship but i mean i understand but you can't just ship the online orders you have to have store stock as well
1: you have to have some store stock yeah so i i understand it and yet at the same time as a customer I was told to wait three weeks for something that I could drive yeah, it's frustrating. five minutes mm-hmm. to pick up, right? And I finally just, I, you know, that's what I did, is I went and I got one. I feel like they should but, tell you, right? Like, you know, you place an order and I send you an email and they're like, oh, hey, by the way. Yeah, I think, and, and they might, there might be something to that because, of course, I ordered it, I think, before it was in stores. Yep. And so they're like, all right, well, it's going to be three weeks. And if I had ordered it when it was in stores, it might have said, this is available for pickup at Corte Madera. It does Just do that. It does it do up. that.
0: Like if you're buying right? after pre-order time, it shows you both options. Like it shows, hey, available to pickup today. But it would be nice if they could do it retroactively, right? So like they could say to you like, oh, by the way, like right now there is stock in store today. We don't know what it will be like when you get there, but check.
1: Yeah. The problem is that that ruins their store stock. Because then you're diverting all of your, yeah. or at least some of your pre-orders to store to stock.
0: Store. Yeah, that is, that is frustrating.
1: But when it, when it's out three weeks and it's in stock at your local store, that's pretty dumb. Anyway, so I, I did um, cancel my online order and place a, an order for pickup. And one hour later, I had the Apple TV 4K. So I did get it in the end.
0: So I found setup simple, not as simple as the Apple watch, but simple, right? You just hold the phone near the device and it transfers over like Wi-Fi information and account information. I still had to enter my iTunes password once. Um, and I had to reauthenticate Netflix and YouTube and stuff like that, but they're actually pre- YouTube is really simple to do. I love the way that YouTube does their activation thing where it just shows an eight digit code and it says, just go to youtube.com slash activate on any device, yeah. type this code in and it's done. So you don't have to sit and put in passwords. I love that.
1: Lots of apps, lots of apps do that. I I have that for, um, a lot of the different video apps where mm-hmm. they want me to authenticate, um, Either with my cable provider or with my just my login, and those are my favorite ones when they work because then I I do need a separate device, but I also am not laboriously entering in a passcode.
0: So I will say to Apple's credit, right? Like Netflix doesn't do this. Netflix wants my username and password, but when I go yeah. to that that get to that screen, a notification pops up for me to enter in text, and I was able yes. to go to another application I went to one password got my got my password and the notification just remained persistent in the notification center uh-huh. so I just hit it and pasted in the password so it's like yeah you thought of this right like i'm feeling now like especially with way this better. apple tv that apple's gotten to a point where like they're showing that a lot more thought of has gone into this product than when it was initially introduced right like <laughs> yeah. it is way yeah. more put together as a thing than it was initially and there were many rumors about that about like the idea of like it sat on the shelf for a while it wasn't touched and it was a ship of old software which is why like apple music wasn't on it etc etc but now it does feel better um i have a 4k hdi tv And I could instantly see a change in the menus, crisper, richer color. And the thing I was most excited for totally paid off. The screensavers are amazing. They look so good. They do? They They do. They look really good. Really frustrating for me that you cannot watch 4K YouTube videos.
1: This is really annoying. Yeah, and this is, this is Apple's decision to not support... Google is pushing the VP9 codec and saying 4K is only... They're not going to bother doing H.265 encoding of, uh, of 4K videos. They're only going to do VP9. And Apple's like, well, we're not going to support VP9. And it's this, it's this little passive-aggressive game they're playing. This is the same reason why you can't watch 4K YouTube videos in Safari on a Mac, but you can in chrome because it supports the codec. So this is uh, a little adversarial thing between Apple and Google but it makes Apple's product worse yep. in this
0: case. Apple need to give in on this one in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Um, I liked something that Dar- uh, the daring <laughs> Mr. Daring uh, John Gruber Mr. said and daring Fireball
1: Please it's Mr. Fireball. It's Mr. Fireball, Daring's Fireball his to father.
0: You. It uh, says, unlike the iPhone and iPad, Apple TV doesn't have enough market share to force Google's hand. I think Google can stick to its VP9 guns and it will be Apple that pays the price. Completely agree. And I would say, I think Apple needs to say for the Apple TV 4K, they will support this codec. They don't need to do it anywhere else. But this is a TV device that has 4K HDR support and one of the biggest video sources in the world, probably with the most 4K content, Probably they don't support. Right, like, yeah, I watch videos constantly from YouTubers that publish in 4K. Yes, and now I, and my TV can do it. So my TV has smart apps, right, and it has 4K support in the YouTube app. Yep. So I'm st- if I want to get that content, I still have to go back to the to the tv app which is one of the things i was hoping from getting this device and then eventually there being amazon (laughs) is that i only ever had to use this now but if i do for whatever reason want to watch a video in 4k i then still have to go to the, the clunky smart app on my tv
1: well look i mean google i think google is being jerky here by not also embracing uh h265 or hevc because that is also a standard. But Google has, has their own thing that they're pushing, which is VP9. And it's this format war kind of thing that's happening. And it's dumb. I I will admit um, it is burdensome to YouTube to have to encode 4K videos in both of those formats for compatibility reasons. But um, you know, it's one of those things where we could argue that the right thing to do ultimately is for YouTube to offer um, 4K video in whatever formats people are consuming them in. But the reality of the situation is Apple is making a 4K TV box that can't play 4K YouTube videos. And we can say, well, YouTube should just change. But it's Apple's product and Apple can control whether it's better by including that support and they have chosen not to do it. And I think, you know, to John Gruber's point and your point, um, Apple TV probably needs 4K YouTube videos more than YouTube needs Apple TV to play videos in 4K.
0: Yeah, because you know what will? Chromecast. Everything
1: else will. (laughs) Yeah,
0: yeah. So it's like, you know, and we're going to talk about Amazon stuff later, but the Amazon Fire TV 4K, that'll do it. And you know what? That thing costs $70 now. 4K and HDR support for $100 less than Apple's. Yeah. (sighs) But I do really love my Apple TV. The Siri remote, right? It should be better. They didn't really do a lot. They added that ring around the menu button. Honestly, for me, that has made it better. It's not a better remote, but it's better than it was. Because now I can pick it up and I know what way it is and I know what button I'm touching. Because I can do it in proximity to to the little ring. It's like touch typing on a keyboard, right? You look for the little notches on the keys. It feels like that to me. Not that I know how to touch type, but I understand what that means. But, you know, it's like it's not a... The remote is still bad, but it is better bad than (laughs) the bad it was before. Like, it has been
1: improved. It should be better. But if this is what Uh, they were going to do, then fine. wasn't, Wasn't it... It was, I think, maybe Marco Arment who said... It's literally the least they could do. If it wasn't him, mm-hmm. it was somebody yeah. I heard say it's like literally the least they could do was put a white ring around yep. the menu button. Um, yeah, I, I think the trackpad is still just a problematic interface and I, I use it a lot. Mm-hmm. and i still get in situations where i'm like no don't don't go yeah. there don't do that or or where they put some clever sort of like flick up to get more things and i flick up and it's like nope that didn't work that it's like didn't too work much, not enough, right too much gesture. not enough and you push matter. exactly right and you push it a little too too hard now you've clicked and now it's it's gone away somewhere you accidentally clicked yeah it's still not uh it's one of those things that apple is is trying to reinvent the remote and doing uh You know, it's, it's a mediocre job that that maybe there is a reason remotes are the way they are. Um, but you know, yeah, it's, this is the whole story with the Apple TV is like, there are parts of it that are pretty good. Um, in isolation, I actually think it's a pretty great product. Um, it's got issues, but, um, the, the, for video watching, like the, the, the apps that I use are all pretty good. Um, there are some exceptions, but the, I, I think they are not Apple's fault so much as the provider's fault. Uh, it can do some good work. The challenge is that there are areas where Apple has has made the product less, like um, like not supporting uh, VP9, so not supporting 4K from YouTube. And there are places, and there is the competition, right? There's just mm-hmm. uh, all of us know that that there are other devices that do this for a hundred dollars less. And the challenge is like is Apple providing an experience $100 greater than Amazon's 4K Fire TV. And you know, well, what are they doing that the the Amazon box isn't? And it's well, AirPlay, you know, screen mirroring and access to iTunes content. And that's about it. I mean, is it is it is that enough for the the, the difference and you know, part of me thinks that Apple is is not too concerned because they just don't think that this is an, an important enough market um, for it to matter, especially since 4K HDR TVs are kind of expensive. And so they, I think they may figure, look, if you can afford a 4K HDR TV, you can afford $170 box to get access to Apple stuff. And maybe they're right about that. But that's part of my frustration is like, it's, it's a, it's an okay video streamer. It's just way more expensive than the competition. And it's disappointing that it isn't better. And some of that is not Apple's fault. Well, some of that is sort of Apple's fault in the sense that Apple and the, and the um, content providers have had issues and Apple doesn't want to roll over on them, but the content providers also don't want to get taken by Apple. And so you end up with breakdowns and things, single sign on not being fully supported and stuff like that. I don't know. It's a, it, I, I don't, mind using it i I enjoy it and in fact i like it better than the amazon fire tv i've got which has its own interface issues and i like it better than the interface on my television which you know the tv apps are not particularly great there's they're really generic and weird um but all that said it could be better and it could and, and I wish it was cheaper to get into the Apple TV line. And that's something we talked about a couple of weeks ago, which is I'm surprised that the base model Apple TV isn't under 100 now, now that they've yep. got this 4K model. But it's, it's like, not... You
0: know, what are they selling? Are they selling the Razer or are they selling the Blades? Like, what are they, what is the point of this product? Like, do they want people to be buying content or do they want people to be buying the boxes? I mean, I would argue that surely it's the content, right? Like, They want people buying TV shows and movies
1: and locking them into the ecosystem too, right? That's yep. that's part of it is, is is it's not yes, locking them into the ecosystem sells more, a more expensive box, but also buying the more expensive box and making it easy to buy more movies locks you further into the ecosystem. It goes yep. both ways. And it is it's a weird Yeah. I I wonder what the, what the strategy is here, or if they're just kind of like groping around in the dark and maybe some of it is this, this video strategy. Like what, what are they going to do? There's a whole other topic that um, we've talked about on my podcast that I do with Tim Goodman from the Hollywood reporter um, TV talk machine. You can get it at the com slash TVTM. We talk about it a lot there and we're going to talk about it more, I think this week. Um, which is what is Apple's strategy for how it rolls out its video service? It's got high profile video or, you know, TV executives now talking to the creative people in Hollywood, but, and and it's got a big checkbook, but what it doesn't have is a story about where their shows are going. Like, what is that service? Is it available everywhere? Is it only on Apple TV? Mm -hmm. Um, you know, is it just are they just going to keep throwing things on Apple Music? Or are they going to have a clearly defined video service on top of it? And the the problem with signing a big name and having and and saying you know yeah we're going to throw you a lot of money and creative control to do this thing that you want to create that big name one of the things that they know is like if they go to Amazon or Netflix they know where their show is going to be seen and who's going to see it and with Apple it's like they they're not. Like, we don't have an answer there yet. So I wonder sometimes if that is part of this kind of like, what is the role of the Apple TV? Is like Apple hasn't decided what the role of the Apple TV is because Apple hasn't decided exactly what it's going to do with its video service. Like, is it, is it available everywhere or is it only available on this box? And if it's only on this box, do they raise the price or do they keep this high price of the box in order to drive hardware sales or do they lower the price in order to drive subscribers to make it easy for people to get access to their stuff I don't know. It's a hard question. There are lots of different ways they could go, and they seem to have like not committed to any of them right now. So I don't know. All right. So
0: Apple TV 4K. It's this got some frustrations to it, which is exactly what I expected. Uh, but it's the upgrade that I guess I was looking for mostly. Um. Yeah.
1: Oh, and 4K. You know, 4K looks. Good. I have a 4K TV that doesn't do you. That doesn't do HDR. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But um, I will get one at some point here. But 4K looks can look good. The, the those screensavers. As funny as it is to talk about, oh, the screensavers are so great. But like those screensavers are so detailed that they really do show off the 4K. <laughs> like they are impossibly detailed. And the and I find and the them interface entertaining to watch. Nice. I yeah.
0: like watching them.
1: Like I, you know yeah. they're on in the watch house the little cars and watch yeah. cars going around and all of that mm-hmm. and yeah. Like when is that is that is that car gonna go off that exit in Dubai or is it going to stay on the road? We don't know. You Let's have to watch out. and find out. That's that's right. Is the sun going to set behind London or not? We don't know. We have to wait and see if there'll be a cloud or if we'll see the sunset. And uh, yeah and and like the Netflix um, uh, 4K stuff is great. I'm looking forward to the Amazon app because they've got a lot of 4K stuff, and I currently have to watch Amazon. Uh, I currently have to watch all the 4K stuff um, through my TV. Now I can watch Netflix 4K on the Apple TV yep. instead of through the dumb TV app. I'm looking forward to getting Amazon out of not you know out of the TV app and just using Apple TV instead because it's a lot easier to navigate to. And um and now now what I'm finding, and this is kind of funny, is I'm like a 4K um, uh, like a seeker of 4k now 4k and hdr where it's like what do you got like i've got some movies that do 4k now that's fun that some of my movies got upgraded so i can watch like uh the the later star trek movies in 4k and there's some other movies in 4k That's great um but i look at like hbo go and i think come on hbo you got 4k versions of your shows right you should roll that out and um I CBS All Access I had that cuz the new Star Trek show started last week and it's on streaming and it's on it's on Netflix in the rest of the world but in the US it's on CBS All Access and it's like it's provided in 1080 and it's provided with in stereo or like it's not even in 5.1 it's like get your act together guys give us a 5.1 audio track and if you've got a 4K version of this show I want to see it I don't know if the version Uh, on Netflix around the world is 4K or if it's just 1080. But I I am finding myself doing that thing of like, is this a 4K? No, it's not Um, for all all these apps. So obviously every video provider is being pushed to provide 4K shows and movies. So it's going to happen and HDR and uh that's you know making your videos look better is a good thing it's not the you know most people probably on a smaller hd tv cannot tell the difference between 4k and uh and 1080 mm-hmm. hd but um hdr is more noticeable and people will get that on ipad pro now and yeah it's all it's all good but it's just i find it funny like the moment that i get the apple tv 4k attached to my tv i start looking for 4k stuff like and being disappointed when it's not <laughs>
0: exactly exactly like i i'm looking for that content now more and oh. more
1: Oh, I also switched it to 24 frames per second to, uh, test that out. And, um, I, I am happy to report that. I think my TV does a pretty good job of the pull down thing where it, 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 uh, tries to do the right thing to make the 20, the film content not look juddery, but I think it, I think at 24 frames a second on the Apple TV, it did look better. Um, it, does take my TV about a second to change between those formats, which is the reason that Apple doesn't do it on the fly because Apple doesn't like that it blinks out for an undetermined amount of time while your TV changes its settings. But, um, but it did look good. The problem is that the user interface looks ridiculous at 24 frames per second. It looks like you've gone to the old, like you're using an old timey Apple TV that can barely draw on the screen if you do it at 24 frames per second. So this is that idea that John, it's the John Syracuse feature, right? Which is to be able to say, look, give me... Output to the TV in the proper format for the video that you're presenting. So if it's not HDR, don't present it in HDR, because apparently that doesn't look very good. Um, If it's not uh, 4K, don't present it in 4K, present it in 1080 or 720. And if it's 24 frames a second, present it at 24 frames a second, not at 60 frames a second. And uh, Apple has chosen to this point not to do that. You can set it to lots of these different video settings, but you can't do what my TiVo, I think, actually has this setting, which is pass-through, which is basically like just do the native of whatever the content is and switch on the fly. And you get a lot more of those kind of blank moments where your TV kind of blinks and then comes back in, but it's always in the the preferred format for the content. And I have some hope that Apple will just make that a setting for people who care and nobody, nobody else will use it and it'll be fine. All right.
0: Today's episode is also brought to you in part by a new sponsor and that is timing the automatic time tracking app for Mac. Look, time tracking, I know that many people find it boring. Hey, I have a show where we talk about time tracking quite a bit. I know that some people find it boring. Like, you have to start and stop timers. It can interrupt your work. And sometimes, quite a lot of the time, if you're me, you forget to do it. But why should you do all of that work? Timing for the Mac automatically tracks how much time you spend on each app, document and website. This means that you never have to worry about starting or stopping a timer again. And I love that idea of like documents and websites, I don't have that kind of granularity in manual tracking, right? Like this isn't a thing that you can do manually unless you want to be spending a ton of time. And because timing collects more data than a regular time tracker, its use extends far beyond billing hours. It shows you exactly when you were using which app or website, maybe when you were slacking off or I should say taking a break, and how productive you have been so you know how to improve your productivity going forward. But your work doesn't just happen on your Mac, right? And that's why Timing's timeline automatically makes suggestions for filling gaps in your timeline and can ask you what you did offline every time you return to the Mac. This way, you'll never forget to enter a meeting again. I installed Timing on my MacBook Pro whilst I was traveling over the summer, and the fact that it was logging things automatically for me was amazing. Like, I am pretty bad at doing manual tracking, when, especially when I'm outside of my usual environment. So it's like it's perfect for me on my mm-hmm. Mac Pro. Like, when I'm doing other things, I just completely forget to do any type
1: of time tracking. Yep. it's It's like time tracking amnesia or something, yep. where it's like you get out of context and it's like, it's gone. It's lost.
0: I'm not in my office, so that means that I don't do this anymore. Uh, so what I love about timing is that it just does it for me. So all of that stuff is just entered in automatically. It's fantastic. You can try it out for yourself by downloading a 14-day trial today. It's a completely free trial of the, of the app by going to timingapp.com upgrade. So it's a 14-day free trial at timingapp.com upgrade, and you'll save 10% when you purchase as well. Timing. Stop worrying about time and focus on doing your best work instead thank you to timing for their support of this show
1: it's funny that you um you're talking about time time tracking and stuff we've talked about this before on this show which is my concern that you go too far deep down into something like this and you're wasting more time than you're saving because you you become kind of obsessed with Mm -hmm. the mechanics of time tracking and i know you and gray have talked about this stuff too um and that's one of the for me that's like the best feature in timing is that it you can do that if you want you can obsess if you want but it's got enough intelligence to try and like intuit what and based on rules you can set up and then because i've been using it for a while now and uh that's what i like about it is that i don't fuss over it i don't i don't i'm not my hobby is not time tracking right (laughs) it's just happening (laughs) it's better Sure is. All right, so out of nowhere, um, last
0: week, Amazon had a surprise press event where they, un- they unveiled like a large selection
1: of new Echo devices. Surprise! They embargoed the existence of the event. <sighs> what? I don't... It's just <laughs> whatever. Tell your family you're going to Seattle to see a friend. The friend
0: is Jeff Bezos. <laughs> He's your friend now. He's your family.
1: You loved him. Mm-hmm. Anyway,
0: but a couple of days before that, there was some news that was interesting. I just wanted to touch on real quick. That Google have pulled YouTube off of the Echo Show.
1: Yeah, I can't watch YouTube videos on my Echo Show anymore.
0: And there are two I have two statements from The Verge. One from Amazon, one from Google slash YouTube.
1: Amazon say, Google has
0: chosen to no longer make YouTube available on Echo Show without explanation and without notification to customers. Google have said, we've been in negotiations with Amazon for a long time. Amazon's implementation of YouTube on the Echo Show violates our terms of service, creates a broken user experience. We we hope to be able to reach an agreement and resolve these issues soon. I don't think that this is coming on to the device for a while. It sounds like Mm. that is really frustrating. Like if you are somebody who bought that device, hello, Jason. One thing that you're supposed to be able to do on it is watch videos, watch YouTube videos, watch videos, cooking cooking videos
1: while you're cooking. Yeah. It. It. On one level, I think a lot of these statements from both these companies is accurate, right? Like, um, although without explanation is interesting because that's that's like. So did were they in negotiations and then? Amazon made some sort of response, and YouTube was like, Okay, we're out of here. We're we're just just like, If you're in negotiations, someone's explained to you why at some point. Right. (laughs) You you must be aware. Yeah. So without explanation, seems a little bit weird. But I, I would say Amazon's implementation of YouTube on the Echo Show. Uh, violates our terms of service, creating a broken user experience. We're going to have to analyze this, and unfortunately, now I can't launch YouTube on the Echo Show and see what they're talking about because it's gone. But there's a lot of speculation about this. You know, this is similar to some of the problems that Apple has had with uh, with video providers, including Amazon, ironically, because it has to do with who owns the data, what's the what's the user experience that you're de- you're defining in your app, like like Google has an idea of what its user experience is across all its apps. And I've complained about that from time to time that sometimes a Google app on iOS doesn't behave like an iOS app should. And it's like, guys, I I know you're Google and you want all your apps to look the same. But when you're making... Like at one point they had share it was all the Android share icons and it's like I don't even know what that is like every other share icon on iOS looks this way and you have it look a different way it's confusing to me right and they've they've made progress there and and you know I and I like the Google unified interface in a lot of ways it's very nice but here like what is Google saying they're probably saying like we want you to respect our uh our autoplay. <laughs> we want you to p- display our overlays <laughs> like all of these things that are that that and and I want to be clear here that YouTube considers part of the YouTube user experience. And I have to phrase it that way, right? Because I mean, you do a podcast with a YouTuber. Um sometimes the YouTube experience is not what the customer or the video creators want the experience to be so it may be that what amazon's saying is well we just want you to play the video you want and then and then we're done and then you can instruct us about where we go next and YouTube's take is no, 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 no we always are pushing somebody to the next video and doing all these things because that's what we do and and Amazon is put in a position where they're potentially like Apple in saying we don't actually think that's a good user experience for our customers we don't want to do that and you're now in this push and pull where it's like but they're our customers but they're our customers. No, they're our customers because they're YouTube users. Like, No, but they're really Echo Show users v- v- viewing a video on YouTube. And this is when the uh, negotiations break down (laughs) Mm -hmm. I I feel like that is what's going on here and it's too bad because you could argue that the Echo Show um, is the reason it exists is for things like YouTube videos in fact the thing that I am most disappointed by so far in having the Echo Show is that it should be way more video centric than it is it should be super easy like they need Netflix on there they need you know they need everything on there and I know they want to push Amazon Prime Video I'm a Prime user I've got Prime video but there shows that aren't on prime video. And then I find myself putting my iPad in the kitchen while I'm making dinner, showing a Netflix show. And I'm looking at that Amazon Echo show screen and thinking that would be a perfect place to play this Netflix video. So so with YouTube being gone, it's like pushing that product in the wrong direction. And that may also be part of this is, is uh, Google saying, look, we are creating a huge amount of value for your piece of hardware by being on your product and you need to do what we say. So it's the Giants, they're wrestling, they're they're angry. So
0: they had an event, and I'm going to run through real quick these devices, because there were a lot of them. There is the new right. Amazon Echo, so this Sliding device around. replaces okay. the current standard <laughs> Echo. It's smaller, comes in a variety of finishes and colors. Amazon says it has better audio with Dolby processing. It is unclear if there are any big advancements at all with the audio hardware inside of the new Amazon Echo.
1: Yeah, great deal of skepticism about whether it's actually better audio hardware or if it just sounds Sounds better. Yeah, it's, (laughs) Yeah. it's, it's hard to tell. Um, Amazon is pushing
0: the multi-room audio with this product. They give you a $50 discount if you buy three of them, but that's still really expensive. It's like $280, something yeah. like that. Uh, you it's can, cheaper than
1: Sonos, but so it's but, like a cheap way to do multi-room audio. But it's Sonos idea, has really good audio hardware, right? So it's yeah. like, who mm-hmm. knows?
0: Yeah. You can attach speakers to this one, though, via the inclusion of a 35 millimeter jack in the back of the Echo. Previously, only the Echo Dot had that. Now the Echo has it. Yeah. The, the new Amazon Echo is kind of like a mix between the old Echo and the Dot. Because it has yeah. all the buttons on top, like it has the volume up and down buttons, which the original Echo doesn't, but the Dot has, and it has the three point five millimeter audio jack, which the Dot has. But
1: because Amazon is based in Seattle, I'd I like to put it this way, which is the the original Echo was a uh, a Venti, and the Dot was a uh, a Tall, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, the the new Echo is a Grande. It's in the middle. Sure, it's is. like a mid. It also looks a lot like the Google Home, doesn't it? It does because it's got the cloth the cloth covering on it. Yeah. Yeah. um this and it's is that mid size that squat no. size yeah
0: this is 99 dollars though mm-hmm. so it at 99 dollars the previous echo was 149 179 something like that um so yeah it's much cheaper uh, i ordered one of these for home um we're going to mm-hmm. replace the one in the kitchen so we ordered the one with the uh metal finish because the cloth finish probably oh, yeah. does, doesn't feel right for the kitchen i feel like I agreed. It, it might get a bit not good over time, so we went with one of the metal finishes, and I don't like the wood finishes. Uh, so then we're going to do some house shuffling, right? I'm going to put the big Echo in here, and then we're going to put the dot in the bedroom, and then, then we got them everywhere then.
1: Uh-huh.
0: Echo Connect, $35 device. It plugs into a phone line to let US-based customers make phone calls through their Echo speakers, and the calls are tied to the owner's phone number. This is a device, I think, to try and get the Echo line of products into the home of older people i I can't really get my head around this one so much uh it's a phone it's a loudspeaker that has the assistant built into it it's uh i don't really get this one so much jason but it's only 35 dollars, so great
1: yeah it's a it's yeah it's a phone connection kit thing you're right. This is this is for people. I mean, what's funny about it is like it's it's basically a landline utility, yeah. Which which is of limited use. But you're right. I think some of this is I want to talk uh, with um, with grandma on the Echo, and this way, like we can just call her or something like that. I I, I don't know because you could also use the internet to do it. It's it's interesting. Um, uh, this seems like a really weird niche product, but it, it gives your it gives. Also, you could do it via IP, right? You could just do it on a virtual line, but instead it's like connecting to your actual phone line. Mm-hmm. I don't know. It's strange. What a strange product. Yeah, so we'll it just see.
0: looks like it's it's you that's calling. Um, does it have... All right, okay. I want to just say this now. We're going into a real big Amazon segment. We're going to say the name. We're going to say yeah. it. All right. If So if you have an Echo nearby, go ahead and press the button because like, this is button. going to be too much work otherwise. Does this thing have Alexa built in? Like I think it does, but like I can't find out like a definite yes or no on that. <laughs> I, mean, I don't
1: like, think it does. So I what? don't think it does. I think okay. this is an accessory to connect to your uh internet and your phone line. And then your your Echo is oh. the thing you talk to and listen to. All right, so this is an website. accessory.
0: With Echo Connect and a compatible Echo device, you can ask Alexa to call anyone using your phone landline to landline at home. Okay, exactly. Weird. This is a weird, weird product because it's it not is for a me weird product because I do not have a phone landline in my home. I don't have one, so it's you know, I, I, I don't need that. But I know, I'm sure the that chat room is pointing
1: doing. out it does it does work over uh, VoIP too. But the, I think the idea here is that you're attaching it to a. A, uh, uh a so bridge. you get both right because the Echo yeah. can
0: already do these Echo to Echo calls and it can make some voice right. or whatever but like this is so you get both like you plug yeah. your phone jack into it and then you can receive calls as normal and when you make calls it looks like the phone number like it's, it's like a bridge between the two worlds. The Echo Plus this is it's weird to say this is the bigger Echo because it's the same size as the one that was on sale before.
1: Yeah, that's the weird thing is they've redefined the old Echo yep. style as the plus style now. It's it's become a plus size. Like I would have, again, to use the Starbucks metaphor, I used to think it was a Grande, but it turns out it's a Venti. It's bigger than, it's the big, it's now the big Echo. Oh, yeah, no, it's it goes tall, Grande, Venti, which is mind-bending. Mm-hmm. Um,
0: okay, so... Yeah. Bear with me on this hot. one. It took me <laughs> okay. a long time to understand what this product did. Like, I'm, I'm kidding. I'm not kidding, like 45 minutes of trying to work out exactly what this product does. The Echo Plus looks like the current tool Echo and is much and much exactly the same. Yeah. I think it has better microphones in it, but there's like a second-gen microphone system, or whatever, but it's, it's much and much the same. It features more powerful smart home integration, And it's intended to be a smart home hub. And I already hear you say, Mike, what are you talking about? My current Echo is a smart home hub. Well, yes and no. Okay, so the the Echo Plus features what's called a Zigbee radio in it which is mm-hmm. a low-power wireless protocol, like as a chip, uh, we put this wire, low-power low wireless protocol that's used in a lot of smart home devices. Not all, but lots. I think over 100 right now the Zigbee supports. So what me- this means is you do not need a bridge device, and you don't need to install any skills or apps to support a variety of products for smart home. So... Right. When you plug in the Echo Plus, you just say, Alexa, listen, like search for devices, and it will connect to whatever it can find. Now, this includes Hue lights. Now, to me, to get Hue lights to work over everything in my home, I have to have this little box that's plugged in yeah. to my router. You don't need that with this. And to go one step further in the brilliant way that Amazon does this stuff, each Echo Plus comes with a Philips Hue bulb in the box. <laughs> genius because then you get to see the benefit of these devices right like firsthand if you buy one of these you just screw it in and you can then control that light and you're like oh okay like and then you start to like get get your idea around it so the device i think that this device it signals something about what amazon is trying to do here i mean like previously it's been like you know we want to have everyone and and write the skills. And I don't think they're going to stop that, right? Because it's just this one device right now. But I think what it signals is that maybe they are trying to do what Apple has done and what Google has done. And they're like maybe trying to not necessarily build a platform, but be a more seamless experience like HomeKit is, right? Where it's just like it finds the stuff. Or like when you have these
1: bridges, they just find the devices, it's a weakness of the echo ecosystem where you have the you have to deal with these skills and all of that and regardless of the device is having a built-in hub. I feel like there's two issues here. There is the built-in hub stuff where it's like, now you don't need to buy that $40 thing that you put on your Ethernet network and plug into a wall and just leave it under a table somewhere and all it does is talk to your light bulbs. Like, that's kind of dumb, right? But they have to do it because they have to have some piece of hardware that acts as a bridge. Well, the Echo Plus does that now. So that's that's good. That's a direction I think that a lot of these products need to lead, like go in. If they're, if they're, there's a challenge with the different standards and all that, but like... That would be a good thing for the HomePod to do and for the Apple TV to do as well is say, well, what if I don't even need one of those things because I can talk to it directly? So that's good. And then there's the software side, which is, are these devices uh, smart enough on their own to talk to this stuff or, or is there a more complicated kind of procedure that you have to go through? Because that's, that's how I feel about my smart home stuff on the Echo now is that the simplest stuff is pretty doable. And then you get up above a certain level and you're like, I don't even like I've got, I should be able to, I I, I should rephrase this. I know I can set my echo up so that I can tell it to do something and have it dim the lights in my living room and turn on the television and open up Netflix. And, you know, I, I I know I can do that, but um, for the life of me, I don't know how. And that's a challenge with this stuff. It it all needs to get better in terms of what they can control.
0: They did announce as part of all of this that coming soon is the ability for like skill developers
1: for scenes and also to have like multi step things. So, like, oh, they're improving
0: everything,
1: right? And something that we should mention now is something that I have complained about and Dan Morin has complained about, I know, on Six Colors a lot, which is guess what? For the first time, um, Alexa skills can now um generate notifications so you have to opt in you have to opt in but that one of my complaints and again i don't want to be bugged by my lady in a canister but like if i choose an app and say hey app let me know when the baseball game is starting you can't do it like in the current conceptions like it doesn't go that direction It doesn't come from the internet into your device, right? And the first time they did anything like this was with the calls, right? Where all of a sudden your echo is lighting up and saying, you've got a call from Stephen Hackett. And it's like, what is happening, right? Well, now with this new new generation of skills, the skills can do that. So the skills can actually ping you and say, that thing that you you know that gum you wanted is back in style or whatever they can do that for you the baseball games about to start and that's a big step forward for them too so they are making a bunch of other announcements here it's just the skill stuff i don't know i mean you've got you've got echoes too the skill stuff is so squishy it's like it's because it's a voice device like there's no there's no real good way to access it on the device. And then you're in the, in the echo app or the Alexa app. And it's not very good in terms of skills. Like this is one of those cases where like I look at the app store and I'm like, Oh yeah, the app store is better at this than Amazon is at getting this this stuff together. Cause I feel like it should be way more, um, discoverable and easy to enable this stuff and instead most of the uh, Amazon uh, echo skills that i enable are coming from the other direction yeah. where like any list sends me an email that says oh we now support the the shopping list on the echo and click here to so turn that better. on cuz their store and is a
0: junk design it's like just junk yeah. it's like amazon fix that right like yeah, it right? looks terrible. that needs to be better like it, it it's so user hostile. It's a nightmare to use. I was just flicking around it then while you were talking and it's like it, this is just like a horrible design.
1: No, it, it, it reads like a lot of stuff that is early on in the smart home world where mm-hmm. somebody slaps something together and put it up and it's like they, were, they, they designed it when there were only 20 of them and they were mostly garbage done by hobbyists and a yep. couple of different hardware partners and it was like it's good enough to ship it. But now you've got a lot of these devices out there and you've got a lot of these kind of skills and they're, they're coming from different locations and it's like the experience needs to be a lot better than yep. it is right now. All right. Know. Two last
0: things. Echo Spot. It's like an echo alarm clock. It's a small device of a 2.5 millimeter screen. It also features a speaker and a camera. It's like the bedroom version inch, of the Echo 2.5 Show. 2.5
1: inch screen. It's bigger than that. A 2.5 millimeter screen would be very small. Wow, 2.5, 2.5 in- millimeter. Where did that come yeah, from? 2.5, 2.5 inch, inch, inch screen. screen. It's a little like a little round mm-hmm. blob that you're supposed to put it's on it's your nightstand. 2.5 millimeter screen. <laughs> <laughs> uh it's a, it's a light basically a light it's <laughs> what you that described you can
0: barely see uh, it also features a speaker and a camera it is like a bedroom version of the echo show uh 130 shipping in december in the u.s it's an interesting product like i would maybe consider one of these it's got little information that shows on the screen for you this feels like a more sensible use of a touchscreen for me than the show. Uh, uh, I just feel like it's it's makes more sense for me personally um when they come to the UK I'll consider it.
1: I like the ambient nature of this. I mean it's 130 bucks. It's not uh cheap, but I like the ambient nature. I I've mentioned on the show before that one of the things that I have repurposed my old um squeeze box music players to do is show the the uh time and temperature. <laughs> And put those in a few places in my house because it's nice to have the time and temperature visible. And I've got the weather station, so the temperature is readily available. And this is one of those examples where, like, having ambient information from the internet around is nice. Like, just just ambient. Like, it doesn't. It's just a screen, and surprisingly hard. Like, surprisingly hard to get that. So I look at the Echo Spot, and I'm like, oh, that's really nice because it's not cheap. But you could put one of those somewhere where people are looking from time to or know to look whether it's in bedroom living room wherever and you at a glance you could see you know time and temperature or news headlines or whatever you would put on there i would say that knowing what i know about the echo show i have some skepticism about what's going to be on the screen of the echo spot because the home screen of the echo show is very limited in what it, it's uh, able to be customized to be and it needs to be better at that it's it's kind of a Uh, hodgepodge right now and it Mm -hmm. needs to be better and and the echo spot with the limited screen real estate of that thing it needs to be that much better in terms of letting you choose what you need to see on it but uh it's an interesting product And the last thing,
0: which is not an important thing, but it's a weird thing, Uh, Echo Buttons, which is the first of what they're calling (laughs) Alexa gadgets, which is a $20 set of buttons that you can use to play trivia games with. And the Echo will answer questions and then people can press their buttons and then answer back. Uh, It seems like a fun little game to play. I feel like this would be a great stocking stuffer when you buy your grandma her first Echo for Christmas, (laughs) right? Then the whole family can sit around the Echo and play a trivia game. Fine. Yep. So there are so many devices here, and I guess I guess that what Amazon is doing is trying to just fill every need, which is yeah. I don't know if this is good or bad. It is a strategy, though, right? Like it is a strategy.
1: It, it is Amazon realizing that the Echo has has tr- some traction, and that it needs to go all in on this mm-hmm. and not all of these products are going to work. I mean, I'd imagine that they've got a lot of, uh, there's no company with an ax- access to more rich, cons- uh, like consumer data analysis than a- Amazon, right? Just because of their sheer scale of what they sell and how many people they sell to. So they've made some guesses about informed guesses about use cases for this stuff. But it's also the case where they are shipping a bunch of stuff and seeing what happens. And while part of me thinks um, maybe fewer devices that are more focused would be better, the fact is they have they have a new what we thought of as the main Echo. They have a new one that does a whole lot more, and they have a cheaper one that is now the new main Echo, and it it does more and has some different looks. Um, and they've still got the small one, and they've got the video one, and they've got the bed, bedside uh, like small screen one. So you know it's it's um it's really interesting and and in the end we'll see what where people want to integrate this stuff and where they don't but it's very clear that amazon is not going to let apple and google slide on in here and take over uh leadership in this without a fight and this is this is amazon fighting and uh Full credit to them. I think their challenge is that they don't have uh, parts of the ecosystem that Amazon or that Apple and Google have. That they have shopping and they have a, some video content. But with the YouTube thing, we can see that they, you know, they are reliant on uh, companies that have been more partners than than competitors, and now are kind of competitors. So that's one of their challenges. But um, but the Echo was a hit, right? And they're going. They're going in they're leaning in on the echo and uh i think that's great i, I think some of these products may flop and that's okay sure. i think if they flop they'll they just walk care. away and try something new i i think that's true amazon is no it's
0: not shameless about that they've had many failed products right like they don't i don't you know not that they don't care but like they
1: don't cower when they fail right like They they'll just keep going they seem very much one of the, the, these fail fast kind of places where um, that's a that's a, what Ed Catmull said that about Pixar like if you're gonna fail fail fast just get it get, just get it over with and move on and and so like the Echo Connect doesn't work like, like obviously the Fire Phone failed and they're like yeah. all right that's it and it was, it was gone and that was it Echo Connect who knows if there's any market for that Echo Spot will people like that the Echo um, that the the one that they already have that's the Echo Look is that it which is supposed to be your like fashion companion. Yeah. We haven't yep. even mentioned that, but that that's a weird product that may or may not make it. Yeah, they um, but they they're didn't trying do anything
0: with that one, right? They just stayed as it was. And we mentioned yeah. the Fire TV, right? They have got the new Fire TV with the new features it has, and it's seventy dollars compared to Apple's one seventy. The Echo is ninety nine dollars, and the Home Pod will be three hundred ninety nine. Now, yep. you know your mileage may vary as to what you consider to be a better product. But how is is it going to be four times as good? It might be twice as good. It may be three times as good.
1: Will the HomePod be four times as good as the Echo?
0: I don't know that well, question.
1: And we'll see what Sonos, um, Sonos I think is doing an announcement this week and we'll see what that yeah. is because that I may be a, that, that may that be in, it's possible that there's some Echo integration in a Sonos level kind of mm. set of speakers. And if that. that's the case, mm-hmm. then that will be an interesting comparison with HomePod because HomePod is, is uh, justified by its sound. As being um, as being the higher price, and that'll be interesting to see how uh, where Sonos is in that in that space, because it may be that the Amaz- Amazon is pricing for the mass market, and then Sonos is going to have Am- Amazon or you know Alexa integration, but it's going to be um, priced for their market, which is people who care much more about audio quality, and none of these Echoes is going to be. Uh, threatening sonos or probably home pod right in terms of audio quality so that'll be interesting to see where that fits in because you're right um there's a, there's a real question about um that 300 difference in price like i am sure that the home pod will sound way better than that than any of these echoes sound but what if nobody hears it because nobody's going to spend or very few people will spend $400 on that home pod and they'll buy an echo for $99 and play music on it and say, it's fine because for a lot of people, it may just be fine. And that's the, I think that's a big risk Apple takes with a home pod at 400 bucks is, um, what if, um, they have built a product that people don't actually find value in, right? Because there's Apple can charge more because people perceive a, a value, um, uh, in their products and in the quality of their products. And that's going to be the question with HomePod is what is that perceived value? How does Apple get that out there? Because a lot of people, I mean, Sonos has felt this too, I'm sure. A lot of people get one of these $100, $150 Amazon boxes with with bad sound, quote unquote, bad sound, and love playing music on it and don't really care how it sounds. Hello, and I'm that, one of those people. Right. And that makes it a lot harder for you to justify charging three times as much for better sound if the sound is fine, and uh, right because then for them your differentiator doesn't matter. And that's yeah, we'll see. Because it really, it's like I don't care too much. Like we
0: don't play music in the house so much that I need the best. Like we just have it play as a usually. Um, you know, if I really want to yeah. have great audio. I'll come in here and use my multiple hundred dollar setup that I have with a audio amp and incredible headphones and all that stuff. Like the Echo's facility is to just play music loudly. That's what it's to do. like yeah. I while really I while I'm making
1: dinner or something, yeah. yeah. And so really like I
0: don't know how great the HomePod's going to be for that. Like it just it's why like I'm not really interested in that product. But Amazon, they're firing on all cylinders whether you yeah. It might be too many cylinders, but they're firing on all of them. <laughs> but some of those cylinders they're just going to throw away later. Yeah, they're just going to pop out of the engine. Today's show is also brought to you by Squarespace. Enter the offer code UPGRADE at checkout and you'll get 10% of your first purchase. Make your next move for Squarespace. They let you easily create a website for your next idea with a unique domain name, award-winning templates, and more. You have everything that you need to put online what you want to make, whether it's a store, a portfolio, a blog, a site for your restaurant, band. No matter what it is, Squarespace has the ability to let you do it. There's nothing to install, no patches to worry about, no upgrades needed. They're an all-in-one platform. You don't have to worry about any of this stuff. Squarespace have got you covered. And they also have you covered with award-winning 24-7 customer support. Squarespace has everything. They're great for if you know what you're doing or if you don't. There are many reasons to use Squarespace. It can be either, like me, you don't know how to code a website, so Squarespace allows you to put online the projects that you want to make, because otherwise they might just sit in the ether forever with no website or it can be great for if you don't want to have to worry about the hassle you don't want to have to worry about security upgrades or maybe you want to be able to set up a friend or family member or whatever or club with a website that they can be supported on and that they can just deal with on their own. That's what Squarespace is great for. Their plans start at just $12 a month. You can start a trial today with no credit card required just by going to squarespace.com. Then use the code UPGRADE when you sign up to get 10% of your first purchase and show your support for this show. We'd like to thank Squarespace for their continued support of the Upgrade podcast. Squarespace, make your next move, make your next website. Should we do some mask Upgrade? Yeah, let's do it. So, the first one today comes from Ian, and Ian asks what 4K TVs we own and if they have HDR. So, uh, you already mentioned earlier on in the show that yours doesn't have HDR. Um, my TV has both 4K and HDR, and is a Panasonic TV. Um, some, it, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to an Amazon page for this uh, because TVs have the worst names, um, and you can, you know, you can find it on your own. But so, for example, mine is the TX-50DX700B. Uh, although, actually, I think mine is a 42-inch, which it doesn't look like is available on Amazon anymore, so it's probably a different thing. I think there is a newer model of this TV now. but So I'm just going to give you, know, just, just for comparison's sake, that's the TV that I own. I really like it. Uh, it's not too big, and it has uh, 4K and HDR. Do you know what
1: your TV is? Yeah, it's a, a Vizio, I think it's a 2015 4K model, 50 inches. Um and 4K, but not HDR. It's a, okay. Maybe it's the P-series, I'm not sure. But it's it's uh, like literally um, the 4K, yeah. Our TV broke a couple years ago. It just died. And mm-hmm. we went to Costco and I bought a TV and this is the one I bought. And it's yep. fine. It's not great, but it's fine. And it, and, it, and it does 4K, which is kind of more of an oddity, but it does do it, so... Um, One of these days I'll get a bigger TV, but I, what's holding me back is that the reasonably priced good uh, HDR 4K TV is a 55 inch model, which would be five inches diagonal bigger than the one that I've got. But I feel like if I'm going to buy a new TV, I might want a bigger TV than that. I might want to go like up into the sixties and put it on the wall and have it be properly big. And, uh, those are more expensive. So it's making me hesitate. We'll see. Adam asked
0: a great question. How will the later release of the iPhone X affect upgrade program holders in 2019 because of the payment requirements, right? So you'll be getting this phone in November. What about when September comes around? It's not been a year. So I've done some digging on this. There are a couple of things. One, you only need to make 11 payments, right? So it's 12 months, but 11 payments or, you know, kind of whatever. When you trade your phone back in, you can get credit, upgrade credit which can knock off some of that money. But you can also end the plan at any point just by paying the remaining months. So you can upgrade early. You just have to just pay what's left for the finance portion of the phone. But you can also get trading credit when you take your phone in to upgrade it to the next one. So then you can work it out that way. So it's totally possible. There are many routes around this. If you go on the upgrade program, you won't have to wait until November. Uh, you can, and then, you know, it might be easier, but you don't have to. You can end it early. So si- simple to do. There you go. Good to know. Nice and easy. Aviv asked, will the Watch Series 2 work with Qi chargers or only Apples?
1: Series 2 isn't going to work with Qi charging at all. Does does Aviv mean Series 3?
0: But I don't know about series-, I mean, series 3 doesn't work with Qi charging. So none of so, them do. Yeah. Yeah, so right? Series but zero
1: one, two don't work with mm-hmm. anything but the Apple inductive charger that comes with it. Um, series 3 will work with the air power thing that Apple's going to come out with. So it may work in the future with other kind of extensions of Qi that involve the, the, the larger kind of thing that Apple's trying to do with the air power stuff. But even that won't work with a standard Qi charger.
0: Oh, so that was interesting because I figured that all of the watches would work with the air power mat. i didn't necessarily think that it was just the series I, three
1: well okay i i don't know that 100 percent, but i think that's the case i think it's just the series three that mm. is, that has been changed that that's one of the things if oh, i mean air power doesn't exist yet right so who who knows maybe but that was my my read on it was that it wasn't going to work with the with the other ones but you know they're all inductive charging right so they all theoretically could so here's what it says on Apple's website: Just lay up to three
0: compatible devices, like the latest iPhone, Apple Watch, and AirPods, anywhere on the surface uh-huh. to there charge them.
1: So it may be that it needs, the and of course, latest. that's the AirPods in the new case that you're gonna have to get mm-hmm. that works with it. So we'll have to
0: wait to see like definite confirmation of which is which, right? But um, it, 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 you know, it just says requires iPhone, Apple Watch, or AirPods. And then it says AirPods with wireless charging capabilities to come in 2018. That's in like the small print. So we're going to have to wait and see what watches exactly will work with this. But it may be safe to assume that it's Series 3 only. I think so. Rajiv asked, which platform has
1: a more vibrant and active app store, tvOS or (laughs) watchOS? Woof. I'm going to say tvOS because watch. Does watch.os really have an app store? Watch.os just feeds apps from your no, iOS there's uh, an app apps. Store? It's
0: in the watch app. I always forget. Yeah, it's but there.
1: it's not, but it's just a filter on the iOS app store. There's no, there's no like watch apps that don't have iOS watch app, iOS apps, right? That's true. Yes, there has so, to be both. So I say tvOS because tvOS, you can just have an app that's an app that's a tvOS app. And watch.os is all like. Well, I mean, you could say it either way, right? You could say the watchOS App Store is way more vibrant and active because it just kind of piggybacks on the vibrancy and activity of the iOS App Store, whereas tvOS is off on the side. I think a better question would be tvOS or Mac App Store. Which one is more vibrant and active? I'm not sure I have an answer for that one either. Do I have to choose? No. Can I choose none? You can choose none. The
0: answer is (laughs) C, none. Uh, The story so far in the chat room has given us a link to a Mac Rumors page, which has like a breakdown of tech specs. And Series 3 Apple Watches have supports air power, mat in the technical specs. The Series 1 doesn't. I'm going to assume the Series 2 and the Series 1 are in the same boat on this. I assume so. And finally today, Josh asked... Is there a method to convert my existing massive photos library to Heath I could do with the extra space? Do you know? Is there a way to
1: do this? Well, if there isn't, there will be. You, there will be at some point. Because with Heath encoding building, built into modern hardware, somebody, you know, if if the if the Fat Cat software people who do power photos haven't already done this, they will. You might be able to do an export, although even there, I think Apple. Look, Apple doesn't want you to do this. oh and the and and the reason is it's lossy. You are losing your original and replacing it with a you know a a, a changed copy and that and they're both lossy formats, so you're get you're double lossing your original photo. You're going right. to lose information on your original photo by doing it. So Apple is not, I think going to support this. Um, and if you're, con- if you're syncing with iCloud photo library, it's even more complex, right? Because you would have to like export them and convert them and then delete them from the photo library and then re upload them. Um, so I'm sure there will be a third party tool that will look at your photos library and convert them all and delete the originals. But I don't recommend it because your photo originals are important. And the JPEG is the closest you can get to breeding off the sensor, right? It's the device. When it took the picture, it encoded the JPEG and that's what you've got. And if you encode it as a heath, you are now double encoding it and you're going to lose information along with the, uh, along with uh, saving some storage space. So I don't recommend it either. But I'm sure there will be a third party that will do it, but I don't know of one right now.
0: Okay. So, yeah, I mean, it seems like a, a risky thing too. Like, I don't know if I would want to put everything through it. I guess you could convert like a second batch, but then like, are you are going to check them all? I I don't know. Like, it feels like a, 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 a tricky thing to do right now. Like, I guess if you're going to do it, wait. Like, just wait a little bit, I think would be a, would be my advice to you Okay, if you want to get our show notes for this week, head on over to relay.fm slash upgrades slash 161. I want to take a moment to thank again our fine sponsors this week, Squarespace Away and Timing. Please go check them out and support the show. Uh, if you want to find Jason's work online, you can go to sixcolors.com and the incomparable.com and Jason is at jsnell on Twitter. We're in the hashtag 140club. Uh, I am also in the 140club and I am I iMike, I-M-Y-K-E. Uh, most of all, as always, thank you for listening. If you want to participate in the show a couple of ways you can do that you can send in a question for us to open the show with the hashtag Snelltalk, or you can send in questions for us to close the show with the hashtag ask upgrade um, and i'm sure that you as an intrepid listener know the difference between the two types of questions um, everyone does a pretty good job with that i think on the whole people don't tend to get those two things mixed up which i'm very proud of our listeners because i know there's lots of tweets and lots of hashtags and we're happy that you, uh, and I, also I love that people send this stuff in as well. Like, thank you for participating and sending these questions into us. Um, it is really, really useful, and uh, we're very—I'm very happy that every time I open the document, there's always more stuff than I can use. Um, so it's great. So thank you very much, as always. And we'll be back next week. Uh, until then, Mister Jason Snell, say goodbye.
1: Goodbye, everybody.